Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, after what seems like the longest wait of any movie ever, mostly because of the pandemic, of course, we are talking about Scott Cooper's Antlers. This was a movie that was on our 2020 most anticipated movies of the year list, which is something I've stopped doing now because... Who can tell anything with release dates anymore? Uh, But back then, I was really looking forward to it. It got delayed a whole bunch, and it's finally out. And it should still be in theaters for a couple more weeks, I'd say, at the time that this goes up. So make sure you go see it. Uh, But if you haven't gotten a chance and it's out of the theaters by you, I'm sure it'll be on VOD any day now because... uh, The world's changing very fast, and that's what happens now. So you'll get to see it one way or another, and I do recommend it. And I have a great conversation coming up here with filmmaker Riley Cusick, who joined me to talk puzzle pieces about antlers. So that's coming up in a second. And before we get into it, I do want to remind you all, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Pocket Casts, on Good Pods. Or just subscribe wherever. And, you know, you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where the conversation continues about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, as well as bonus stuff from Awesome Movie Year and stuff from my music career. So lots of great content over there on the Patreon. Check that out at patreon.com slash by David Rosen. So with all that said, let's finally talk about antlers. All right, so it has been a long time coming to talk about this movie. We'll get into some of that during the conversation, I'm sure. Uh, But we're going to talk about antlers. And joining me today is Riley Cusick, his first time here on the show. Riley, how's it going? It's going great. First time caller. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this movie, and I'm glad to have you here on the show. You are a filmmaker, of course. Why don't you tell people a little about you and uh, what you got going on with your upcoming film? I, yeah, it's it's not Antlers, uh, unfortunately, not promoting <laughs> that one. But I do. I, I've got one coming out in um, November, November 23rd, called Autumn Road, which I wrote, directed, and I um, acted in, played two two twins. 
And, and I was reading, you, you have like a few short films out right now. Is this your first feature? Yeah, I, I made like half a dozen short films. And then we mm -hmm. went out with that, that good old can-do indie spirit made, made Autumn Road. And that comes out. And then we just wrapped on our second feature, actually, about last month. Okay. So, uh, yeah. It's Very cool. It's cool. fun. Man, Just excited. keeping it moving. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're going to get into antlers today. And I, I, I always like to ask my guests, like, before we start getting into the puzzle pieces and everything, w was this uh, a big anticipated movie for you? Were you looking forward to this? I mean, I, I know before you answer, like, this was a big delayed movie of 2020 with the pandemic and everything. And so I was really looking forward to it back then. And then this was like, of course, we had Dune and we had Bond and we had all these things. I kept thinking, like, this is never coming out. Like, I really didn't know if it would ever happen. And here we are. It finally did. I felt the same way. It was, it was top of my list for anticipated mm -hmm. movies when it was going to come out before. So that's mm -hmm. only been growing over time, which maybe that's a recipe for failure. But um, right, right. Yeah, that doesn't always work I still, out. I still really liked it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it too. And uh, we'll get into some of what worked and what didn't along the way. But we might as well start getting into some puzzle pieces here and we'll talk about all the other things uh, as we're going through them. Uh, what do you have for your first puzzle piece here for Antlers? Let's do it. My first one, it's a bit of a cheat answer, but it's the 1979 Alien. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit of a cheat answer because uh, Cooper himself, the director, has cited it as an inspiration, talked about watching it many times. And, uh, build up for this film but i also in watching it just naturally took that away and mm -hmm. that he had this animatronic creature and the tone the grounded supernatural tone that he had going on and i think when he talks about what he took away it's that heroine like ripley who can be both strong but also compassionate and vulnerable and um i saw that in the film and i and i thought that alien was a, a puzzle piece if there ever were one Absolutely. Yeah, it's on my list as well and definitely makes sense here. And I, I, that's interesting to hear that Cooper had cited it himself. It, that totally makes sense. Um, I, I think there's so many parallels here. You know, you, you've got the, the monster. You don't really see that much towards the until towards the end. Uh, you've got basically the hero being completely at this monster's will like it can't do you can't do anything about this thing like you all you could do really is survive at, at this point until you know she steps up and saves the day basically you know but that this thing is just so overpowering kind of like a xenomorph in a way yeah it has that perfect organism vibe to it and it also yeah. in addition to that it has the stages like it grows inside of a person sure. and, and there's these um layers to it existing that i think are really interesting Absolutely. Um, so I'll go ahead and jump to another puzzle piece here. And this also, I guess I would describe as a cheat because I'm not really going to use one specific movie, but I'm going to use the werewolf movie genre because I, I, I feel like, you know, even though we're dealing with a Wendigo here, which is a different kind of mythical creature, uh, which has appeared in other movies where it's specifically cited, I feel like the movie kind of takes the werewolf movie trajectory of, you know, the the overwhelmed police officer who has to kind of keep it from the town so things don't get too far out of control and and they're they're trying to hide the fact that first animals and then people are starting to get killed and more and more people start getting killed as it goes and it's brutal and just incredibly violent and they just know that shit will hit the fan if it gets out and so they have to kind of keep it under wraps and that's kind of a thing that I think happens in like the Wolfman last year's the Wolf of Snow Hollow. There was a comedy this year, Werewolves Within. I mean, it seems to be a thing in wolf 
movies, werewolf movies, that they always have to kind of keep it under wraps or else shit's going to hit the fan. I totally see that. I, I think you you also see that in the way that the characters are wrestling with themselves and this this dark part of themselves that they have inside. And, and I think you see mm-hmm. that in a lot of werewolf movies. And then there's also that, you know, just this like this primal animalistic presence sure. in there. That we Absolutely. All share. Yeah. And, and also lots of great night shots. Uh, this, this is a very beautiful looking movie. Uh, that's one of the things that kind of stuck out the most about it. And a lot of Sco- Scott Cooper's movies are. Uh, but cinematography here are just uh, gorgeous. And that's kind of a, a thing with werewolf movies. I mean, the moonlight and everything always makes for such awesome looking films. Yeah, it was uh, Oregon, wasn't it? That's where this one takes yes. place. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was beautiful. There's no wrong place to put a camera in Oregon. Everything yeah. has a mountain or a tree or something in the background, and that's nice. Sure. sure. But even in the um, in the mine, there's a lot of stuff where they go into this mine, and there's like a ton of negative black space going on, and that's always really beautiful. In this oh one. yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what do you got for your next piece? My next one. My next one's a bit uh, more literal, and it's the 2001 film Windigo, uh by Larry Fessenden, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think Cooper had said, Scott Cooper, he had said that um, I, there was some professor or someone who was his like main source of, oh, this is the Wendigo expert. But I, I disagree. I think Larry Fessenden is the, the Wendigo expert. Mm-hmm. And um, his film is a little less literal. And the Wendigo, it just represents this puppeteer of dark forces. But I think that that, that is also what Scott Cooper himself was going for. And like he, he is someone that's all about the underneath the horror. And in this one, there's the, the treatment of indigenous people, environmental sure. consequences, the meth epidemic, abuse, inherited trauma, grief, poverty. And even if he doesn't balance all those themes perfectly all the time, it still feels very sincere. And I felt that same sincerity in uh, Wendigo. And it would, be, it would be a crime if he didn't uh, watch it in preparation for, for this movie. Yeah, hopefully he watched at least a few Wendigo movies. I should have watched a few Wendigo movies going into this because <laughs> I, I haven't seen that Wendigo movie. I haven't seen really much when it comes to Wendigos. And I, I don't know much of the mythology. And, and I didn't go into this knowing that much. And so it was kind of interesting to see that he threw so much in. And I would say that that's maybe the weakest aspect of the movie is that I'm not sure which aspect of you know, the grief, the, the trauma, the, the, uh, you know, the opioid epidemic, the, the native, uh, you know, <laughs> lands and all that, like so many things are being attributed to this. And it's like, what actually is happening there? Yeah. I, 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 I kind of feel the same way. I just, I also feel like that's kind of the Wendigo is this, it's the shapeshifter and it's just this umbrella of like the dark part of humanity mm-hmm. and, um, I don't, you can spin that in any which way and you can say it's about everything or nothing. And, and that, you know, maybe that gives them too much creative license, but um, sure. I, yeah. I, I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll go to my next piece then. And uh, that would be the TV series, True Detective, which I feel like comes up a lot on this show in the last few years. I mean, it, it's, it really kind of captured the public imagination especially with that first season uh but really all three seasons in general you know you get that small town feel 
you know, middle America ravaged, I mean, this is of course Oregon, but still, you know, ravaged by the opioid epidemic. And especially with that first season of the whole, is it supernatural or is it not kind of feel where you never are quite sure. uh, This movie definitely tries to hide, even, even with things that feel so supernatural, you then kind of start to lean into, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's just metaphorically speaking maybe uh there, there's something else happening and it, it definitely tries to ride that line where you're not quite sure if it's going to be supernatural or not that that is very interesting i wouldn't have thought true detective but now that you say it i i could totally see even scott cooper um why is he not involved with that series right absolutely What's he doing? It really seems like something he would be in. And uh, I, I could totally see Jesse Plemons being in a season of True Detective, by the way. He's just awesome. Yeah, they. I think like both of them and the series of True Detective and this movie, like there are certain aesthetics and themes and yeah, even even actors that um, I could see Carrie Russell in a True Detective thing. Oh, definitely. So like they, there's great. like a lot of, um, I don't know, they're kindred spirits, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I was going to say Jeremy Saulnier is someone who reminds me of scott cooper like i think they're they're two filmmakers that have a very similar style and he was supposed to do the third season of true detective and it like fell apart i guess in the planning stages but uh yeah it just kind of goes to show that that kind of a filmmaker would work in that kind of a world someone who can really embrace uh bleak yes someone absolutely. who just loves bleak oh yeah i just love to roll around in darkness and like darkness. a pig in mud darkness <laughs> is uh good that's good stuff <laughs> what do you got for your next piece Okay, next piece. Uh, oh, next piece, I got uh, It Comes at Night, the 2017 Trey Schultz film. Sure. Which is, which is great, which I, I feel like has a lot of similarities, and I, and I guess starting aesthetically and then moving inwards. The mm. sick makeup they use in that film, I thought was super similar. Like, just the way that plague operated in It Comes at Night, the way that it functioned, I feel like functioned similarly in this one. Because you spend yeah. so much time with his father getting sick and um, in general, like they both have, both those films have this strong father son dynamic and um, they both have that, that shared play and it's never about the monster, even though they both technically have them in there. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I saw a lot of similarities allegorically and they're both sad and bleak. Sure. And I, I think Trey Schultz made, um, it comes at night about his, uh, his dad's death and about addiction similar to this one dealt with, the meth addiction and yeah. about how fear tears us apart. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's a good one. And definitely like the, the vibe that both of these movies go for is dark and bleak. And uh, yeah, it really leans into that kind of a feeling a lot. And that's something that it comes at night did really well. And I hadn't thought of it, but uh, the way you brought it up, the the way that the makeup is done for the effects of of that plague and it comes at night definitely does feel uh, similar in, in what the effects of the Wendigo and addiction are here. If I'm remembering right, I think there's a lot of like black ooze in yeah, both yeah. and they're very veiny. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I, I, it's an interesting choice. I don't know if that's just to, it's just as gross or to dehumanize, but I mean, obviously yeah. there's, there's something behind it. Absolutely. Uh, I'll go to my next piece, which is something I, I haven't seen in forever, um, but Poltergeist. Uh, you know, of course, Native American land being exploited by the white man and uh, all the chaos and supernatural stuff that comes from that, you know? And <laughs> again, you know, we were already talking about how maybe the weaker point of this movie is that there are so many 
things going on that it's not all balanced as well as it could be. But uh, that definitely is part of the catalyst for, you know, the Wendigo myth and for why all of this is happening here. And so I, I think it's a uh, an interesting parallel to something so classic like Poltergeist. Yeah, no, I, I see that. And I think it's the, um, you know, these people, family trauma with this element of, of the supernatural um, yeah. inflicting upon them. Like, I, I think they, uh, they both share that. Absolutely. Well, what do you got next? <laughs> What do I got next? Uh, oh, next I got uh, the ritual. The two thousand. Did you see that one? I did not. I've heard really great things about it, though. It's it's pretty good, it, and it's um, it's it's got a lot aesthetically similar. It's got the uh, the monster that I, I think Del Toro, who was a producer on on this film, Antlers. He, yeah. Um, he had a quote when they were designing the Wendigo, and they they talked about we have to remember that it's not. We're not creating a monster. We're creating a god, or I'm paraphrasing something like that. Mm. And in uh, this film, the ritual, they they have a similar creature that's that's very based on like Norse god mythology, and and uh, it's got I think it's got antlers. And um, yeah, I'm pretty it's sure also, it did. I remember it's also these grieving, you know, these people that are grieving and suffering, and represented through this monster in this beautiful forest. And I I really appreciate that. That's cool. Yeah, it takes a lot of like cues from nature, but at the same time, just really just messed up and, you know, going far, far away from anything actually natural, which just makes it all the weirder, which actually uh, is a good, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a good lead into my next piece, which I was going to kind of combine two pieces that both could work, but uh, The Thing and Annihilation, uh, both movies that, you know, take, again, that, that just, this natural, you know, animal thing and, and kind of just grow it out in ways that are just totally unnatural and weird and just gets into some really crazy, bizarre creature design, which, I mean, really, I think that's what you kind of come for with a movie like this is, is the creature stuff. And I think that's what makes the movie successful is the fact that it does deliver on that, especially when we get to some of the weirder stuff towards the end. Yeah, no, I see that. I, I think those are all good. And I think Kind of what they share is they all have this, um, I don't know, something that maybe I just lean towards as a preference is when films, when their characters have this golden trinity of um, they're placed in a situation that makes them reevaluate their relationship with themselves, their relationship mm. with the people around them and their relationship with nature. And then mm. kind of when they have those three elements, especially like the nature one, and they're placed into this like bizarre situation. Uh, it's almost always gold. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always got my ticket when they do that. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I think, you know, another thing you were just talking about, uh, Guillermo del Toro's involvement in this. And, you know, this movie, even though Scott Cooper is very much his own filmmaker, I mean, Crazy Hard, Out of the Furnace are both just amazing. And, and I really like Hostels as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he has such a you know, a history of working with smaller filmmakers and things like the orphanage and, and mama and, and, you know, it just kind of, it's interesting to see him take a filmmaker who's, you know, got a little bit of a bigger name here in America, at least. And, um, you know, still kind of put his stamp on it as well. And you can, I think you can feel it. I mean, you can feel it in the design for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that like the respect towards the monster that, that feels totally del Toro. I yeah. think the missed opportunity there is they didn't put um, 
You know, I know they had some kind of animatronic creature on set, but they should, they got to figure out a way to make it Doug Jones. Otherwise, sure. It's yeah. not a proper creature if you don't got Doug Jones playing. That's true. I mean, he might have been in there somewhere. Uh, maybe <laughs> one of the weirder, weirder parts that we just will never know. But. He was playing the mine or something, something yeah. so abstract. It was, it was beyond the Wendigo. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, right on. Well, uh, what do you have next? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I kind of want to continue on the Del Toro train because I okay. feel like Del Toro is a producer. They're working together and he's got a huge history of movies that are, that you could use as a puzzle piece, but probably. For me, Pan's Labyrinth felt like the most influential on this one. And maybe sure. it's just the relationship with the monsters and, and the children. Yes. Um, or that there is some kind of strong political statement baked in. Uh, um, they both feel like they're trying to hold a mirror up to the world um, in which they're representing him. And yeah. I, I, I think that if Scott Cooper is rewatching one of Del Toro's films all the time, it's probably that one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that is... I mean, that that movie is so, I think, influential when it comes to creature design in the last, you know, 20 years. And, you know, Del Toro in general is. And I think especially with the uh, the relationship with, with children, I think, makes that these two movies are uh, definitely a good pair there in that. I'll say also, while we're on, you know, on that track there, uh, The Baba Duke is another movie, I think would be uh, a good one to include on the list. You know, of course, another one of those aspects that we kind of throw into the mix is the trauma that this kid, uh, the, the main kid, Lucas, has been going through with his family and with, with his dad, especially, who is turning into this Wendigo creature, but is also, you know, an addict and going through all of that that's that's going on in the household. And so you've got that baked in horror thing of trauma, which has been a very big thing lately, like dealing with uh, issues like that within the world of horror. And uh, again, this movie kind of eventually just kind of becomes a cool monster movie, but it's certainly there though, the the fact that uh, these characters all have to deal with it. And then we find out that the the uh, heroine of the film also has to you know deal with her own issues, uh, you know, her own past issues. Well, she was great, by the way. I guess they both in in the Babadook and and with Carrie Russell here. They, um, yeah, the heroines in both films were were yeah. fantastic. And I think the um, well, right at the the kids as well. I really liked the kids in Antlers. Um, yeah, I, I I thought they both did a good job. But the but the main boy that we follow, uh, Jeremy Antler Thomas. Boy. Jeremy Thomas. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> no, I I see it, and I think what what horror film of of this current age has not been influenced by the Babadook? Like I think. We hear that a lot, and I think it's kind of become synonymous with this term elevated horror that goes around right. a lot. Even if that's not like a, I don't know, it's not my favorite term, but um, I see it. I see what they're talking about, and I guess it is these films that are more, they, they, they all have that um, similar trait of focusing on trauma. That, yeah. And, and, and there's some kind of hidden monster that they can be misread to the audience when in marketing. <laughs> It's an interesting term, too, because like I feel like a movie like this clearly wants to be quote unquote elevated horror, but at the same time doesn't, you know, and, and it's it, it, <laughs> yeah, like it, it totally like is trying to be just like, you know, sort of a fun horror movie, too, that doesn't have to be just as heavy as as, as elevated horror. But yeah, but then it's kind of in the same trappings at the same time. So I don't know. It's probably part of that hard line that it had to ride here. Yeah, and it's, I, I don't know how they, 
when you choose to really focus on plot versus that story and and because this one does have the traditional like they're hunting the monster they find the monster it has the base and yeah it has all those elements but um and those crowd pleasing elements but they they marriage it well here I, I thought yeah well uh what do you got for your next piece the film has a, a ton of pieces and I, yeah. I guess it's just because it, this is like the direction that that horror is going um I kind I had sort of a, a different one uh, a real a real small one and it, and it came out um after the film so obviously it wasn't a uh, inspiration on it but uh uh it's a it's a book actually it's a book called the only good indians by stephen jones hmm. and it's about these four men four indigenous men suffering from supernatural torment after leaving their reservation and um i guess i just got to thinking about how this this film was based on a short story uh which is also based on another short story by algernon blackwood called wendigo right. and then um the only good Indians is very similar, like elk-like supernatural monsters. And um, just just literature's relationship with this film is uh, neat and worth mentioning, I think. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would say there's probably a lot of uh, Stephen King in this as well. Um, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Pet Cemetery, but, uh, you know, others as well. I think just the, that kind of small town with lots of mythology and all, all the things that you would associate with the Stephen King you know, book or film, I think uh, a lot of that is here. I'm going to admit a little bit of ignorance. Um, I haven't seen Pet Cemetery. Isn't there a Wendigo sort of thing in it? I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but <laughs> I, I absolutely, yes, there, there is definitely a Wendigo uh, influence in there. I, I, I think it's even by name a Wendigo. I think so. I think there's like yeah. a very uh, explicit Wendigo. Someone listening, they, they know. Yeah, they know what's absolutely. Going on. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, awesome. I will go to my last piece actually. Uh, and that I was just going to say Scott Cooper's previous films. Um, mm -hmm. I, I feel like they kind of make a path to this and you know, I'm not sure, uh, where black mass fits in, but the other ones <laughs> though, uh, <laughs> out of the furnace, you know, of course is the, the opioid epidemic and joblessness mm -hmm. and the, uh, you know, decline uh, of the American thing uh hostiles with uh native american issues through the eyes of white people and crazy heart with alcoholism and abuse um three just excellent movies black mass is good too but i don't know where it fits in but it, it doesn't but, uh, quite yeah <laughs> not really but in the rest of my example though i think uh, i think it's a pretty clear line that this is kind of a culmination of some of those ideas that he's been working on uh through these other movies but filtered through horror and it's, yeah, it's neat that it, it is all of those. And it's still, I think all of his films have this like harsh Western approach to them, which is mm -hmm. interesting. And yeah. even though this one feels like it's the culmination, it also feels like um, it's very different for him. Because yeah. I think that his other ones are pretty aggressively, like Out of the Furnace is not supposed to be a, a crowd pleaser like this one. And right. I think that this, I think he was opening him up, himself up to a wider audience with this then. Yeah. Whether they showed up or not is uh, yet to be seen. I, I don't know. It's kind of kind of getting uh, eclipsed by other stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool to see him yeah. doing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, uh, do you have any more pieces? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of see uh, a little bit of Taylor Sheridan with him too, with like something like Wind River. Sure, that also sure. has these like um, takes place on a reservation, and um, that's the Wendigo's whole mo is that. Um, it comes from indigenous folklore. Yeah. And so I, I, and I think that they both have that same, there's a harshness to both of those. There's an element of like the environment is, is very much a character in the film. Mm -hmm. And um, no, I, I, I see it with, 
with both of those. I think Cooper and Sheridan, they got to team up at some point. Yeah, I, I don't totally know what they're waiting that. on. <laughs> yeah, well, and also Sheridan. I mean, I, I think better as a writer than director. Although Wind River's very good, um, I would fair. like to I would like to see them collaborate in that way. Uh, him as the writer and uh, Cooper as the director. I think that would make for a great film. Yeah, that's a match made in heaven right there. Yeah, but I think they both. I, I don't know, and it's it's um. It's it's interesting the the way they both choose projects and and the type of stories they they both focus on. I, I think anytime um hey, I don't know anytime they're doing anything close to uh, Western like material, I'm I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna throw in one more piece that right on, it's man. it's not really like a full on puzzle piece because it did not come out before this movie, but it feels more like it would be a good companion piece with this movie. Uh, and of course, if it wasn't for COVID delays, I'm not even sure which would have came out first. But uh, it, it's the Empty Man, a a horror. Oh, movie I saw from, it. Yeah, it's a good yeah. movie, and it, it's this movie that I think. Everybody who sees it kind of seems to agree it's going to be like this cult classic that just, it it was so strange. It got released during the pandemic to theaters. Like you always think of like dumping to, you know, streaming or something like that. It was dumped to theaters and Mm -hmm. nobody saw it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, because nobody was going to the theaters at that time. But it's a very interesting kind of horror movie that has so much built in mythology behind it. And when you're dealing with something like the Wendigo, you've got so much mythology to uh build this whole thing around and then on top of that you've got like the lovecraft inspired uh creature design which kind of runs through some of our other pieces as well yeah yeah no consider me a part of the cult because i uh, i i quite i quite like the empty man and I, and I see i see what you're talking about like with all the mythology and just like the um i don't know the empty man and the way that they did so much with what wasn't seen necessarily sure. i thought yeah. i thought was really good all the stuff absolutely. that like you know is going on that you don't necessarily get to um get the full view of. Yeah, absolutely. You're kind of as lost as the uh detective that's trying to figure it all out. Yeah, and they both feel they both have like a methodical nature to them. Mm-hmm. Or or something. And and maybe that um I don't know, it reminds me of, of Jesse Plemons again. I Jesse Plemons, I I think is how you pronounce it. But he um he's kind of got that um that's his role in this film. He's the he's the detective trying to figure it out. Yeah, and he's great. Absolutely. He could do so much with a uh, doing nothing. I don't yeah. know. He's one of those guys you could watch sit and and uh, it'd be fascinating. Oh, absolutely. You project so much onto him. Love him. He's so good. <laughs> and in this one, well, in this one in particular, like he just um, he's got so many moments of just like the blank gaze that yeah. uh, is informing all these moments. And, and I thought that yeah. was really cool. Absolutely. Well, uh, any any more pieces you wanted to bring up? I, I did. So I, I was watching an interview with Scott Cooper. And mm-hmm. he, he mentioned Alien. And um, I and this is kind of a group of them, but he was mentioning himself a, f- a few films like The Exorcist, Don't Look Now, The Shining. And um, I guess those are his puzzle pieces that he's giving to us here in spirit that okay. he said were, were an influence. And I guess I can't explain why he chose all of them, but I think it's sure. interesting he chose all those. Hey, well, The Shining, I mean, we already brought up Stephen King, so there's a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, The Exorcist, Poltergeist, like I, yeah. see the, I see the similarities here. Connections there for sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's cool, getting some of, uh, some of that insight from those interviews. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead. We'll close this up. I'm going to do the finished puzzle, then we'll get into some closing thoughts here. Uh, we talked about Alien, Werewolf Movies, Wendigo, True Detective, It Comes at Night, Poltergeist, The Ritual, 
Annihilation, The Thing, Pan's Labyrinth, The Baba Duke, The Only Good Indians, Scott Cooper's other films, Wind River, The Empty Man, The Exorcist, Don't Look Now, and The Shining. You know, really the main thing here, it, to me, the reason why I like this movie a lot, and I, I said this in my like little letterboxed, you know, one paragraph review, <laughs> uh, I, I was anticipating since last year when this got delayed because of COVID, I was anticipating this interesting like unique thriller from scott cooper the director of uh you know out of the furnace and crazy heart and i don't know that it's as interesting as i had hoped for but what i got is a really cool little horror movie with a great monster and i i think yeah. it's very effective in that and so i i to me it's a success on the terms of what the movie actually is no i i'm in complete agreement man i i thought it was great and i um I, I really like uh, Wendigo-based content. It's a niche, <laughs> but I, I look forward to uh, more things coming out about it. I think that it's, um, it's an endless reservoir of horror and uh, material. Yeah, I feel like I need to do a uh, deep dive into Wendigo before uh, whatever <laughs> the next Wendigo movie is that comes do around. Do it, man. And then I'll come back on and we'll, we'll exclusively do Wendigo movies. And we'll Let's do it, man. Let's I do did, it for I, sure. I do want to mention, I did the... Um, one of my pieces was the was the Wendigo movie that mm -hmm. Larry Fessenden did, and I, I worked with him on the last film I did. And oh, he nice. really is a, he really is a wealth of knowledge on this stuff. I think he even he edited a book. It was called um, I think it was called Sudden Storm, a Wendigo Reader, and he just it, it's like a encapsulation of all these stories and uh, stuff about it. He's a good place to start. That's all yeah. I'm saying. He's nice. the entryway. Nice, nice. Uh, uh, I want to say uh, what one last thing before we close this up uh, is that one thing, and of course we always get into spoilers here on the show. Uh, we assume everybody is going to deep dive further into the movie by listening to us talk here. I just love that at the end of the movie when uh, Carrie Russell realizes that the other kid is infected by this Wendigo and there's no turning back, she just goes and stabs him to death. Like, it's, the, <laughs> like, it's the most um anti-mom uh yes. moment i could think i i cannot imagine it was so dark oh my god yeah you yeah. never see that in movies it's there's always got to be drawn out like like oh i can't do this you got to wrestle with it no she just stabs the shit out of him he's done i think you got to respect her commitment she yes. i don't even know that she fully knew that he would become one I don't, she was on top of it she was like yeah. there's a chance he's going i'm sorry Yep, I'm not fucking it's, around. It's got to happen, <laughs> man. No, it it was crazy. I I um I don't know. It's not as explicit as maybe people might think, but uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have right. to be when you caress a child and yeah. tell them they're okay while you hold a knife. Yeah, it's just, just uh, dark, it. dude. It's just dark. <laughs> very very dark. <laughs> well, I can I can appreciate. I don't know. I I like it. I think um that whole showdown with Carrie Russell and. The, and the monster as long as we're getting in the spoilers i don't know it's just interesting the way they did the way she's like ripping into it and yeah and um grabbing its uh fiery heart and all yeah. that was uh, it's very neat. violent and uh not particularly gory i mean a little bit especially when it's got the the guy's face on its face but you know it, it's not particularly <laughs> that gory it's just yeah. violence it's very very violent yeah i don't yeah the little moments of violence it has go a long way like when he's um transforming and the antlers just burst out of their yeah. mouths it's it's uh, gross no thanks. a lot of good Yuck. sound design yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> well i think that's a good place to wrap it up on antlers is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners 
Oh, yeah. I really liked the film Beta Test that just came out. Oh, yes. Yeah, Have you got a chance to see it yet? Just yesterday. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it's great. And like even bigger than that, I just think that like what Jim Cummings and co are doing is so cool in indie yeah. filmmaking. Like they've really carved their own space with Thunder Row and Wolf of Snow Hollow and now the beta test. And they just kind of have their own thing and they're taking risks and they're they're doing it in a very like uh, transparent way. They're very open about their process. And um, I super like that one. That yes. was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Great, great uh, recommendation there. Everybody should check that out. And uh, we are actually planning an episode on that soon. So definitely everybody should check that out before we get to that episode. <laughs> but uh, awesome, Riley, this was uh, great. Uh, why don't you tell people again uh, where they can find you and your work and your uh, upcoming film? Yeah, well, um, I, I'm kind of just around on I linger on on the Instagram these days at uh, mm-hmm. RSQs. You can reach out there. But um yeah, other than that, it's just it's just making films. I, I got Autumn Road coming out November 23rd. Excited about that one. I, I think you can pre-order it right now on iTunes. But when it comes out, it's supposed to be on all those, the, the, uh, the transaction websites. So it's on the Amazon Prime and Google Play and Vudu and mm-hmm. all, those, all those good places where you can rent and buy a movie. I think we have a limited Blu-ray release, and I think that's the best thing. Nice. I, I am so excited about having a physical copy of something. Oh, it's getting great. me jazzed. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the, um, the antlers physical, and then uh, I'll stick them next to each other. Nice. Beautiful. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to checking out your movie when it comes out, and uh, I thank you very much for, for joining me here on Piecing It Together. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Dietrich. I'm Alex. And I'm Ben. We're from the podcast That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. We want you to join us on our voyage across the cinematic sound waves as we take a deep dive on a new song and movie each week to figure out just what makes them tick. Already we've set sail with Celine Dion on the Titanic, found a friend in Toy Story, and gotten drenched out in the rain with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song. Or at least learn something new along the way. Just like learning that Toy Story 4 is a meaningless cash grab without a soul. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. If you use one of the bad ones, then that's on you, and we can't be held responsible. Subscribe to that song from that movie. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Antlers. Thanks to Riley Cusick for joining me to talk about that one. Make sure you check out his film, Autumn Road, which comes out on VOD very, very soon. Uh, Maybe up for pre-order right now, I believe he said. So, uh, yeah, as always, I want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review us and five stars and share the show and, you know, post it on your socials and do all those things. That's awesome. I appreciate everybody that's out there listening and, uh, you know, Definitely get in touch with me if you ever want to join me for an episode of Piecing It Together. Riley got in touch with me, and uh, you should get in touch with me. I'm always happy to hear from people who enjoy our format of looking at movies through the lens of what other movies might have inspired it. I love when people get in touch with me and tell me about puzzle pieces that we might have missed, and I I just think that's awesome when people have like their own ideas of what movies might have inspired these movies that we didn't quite get to. Uh, Or people who get in touch with me and want to join me for a future episode. It's always awesome. So definitely get in touch. I'm on social media. 
pretty much constantly at piecing pod on twitter uh but you can find at piecing pod on instagram as well i'm on facebook and of course we have the popcorn and puzzle pieces facebook group which is a part of this show so check that out and don't forget about the produced by david rosen patreon with lots of bonus content speaking of uh the bonus content on the patreon I am going to play a piece of my music, which I may post as a bonus thing there on Patreon. As you know, I just recently released an album, The Dissection Table, which is the score of an unreleased film uh, that just never came out, a horror film. And so I decided to take the music and turn it into the soundtrack album. And uh, what I'm about to play for you is from a short film that never got completed and never happened. And I have this music. And so I'm thinking right now I might as well put it out in some way. So this is a little clip from that film. I'm not going to uh, reveal the name of it or any other info about it. But I may go back to the music, which is pretty finished, but maybe not 100% finished, and put it together into a uh, release for the Patreon. That's the kind of bonus content you can expect. Stuff that may or may not happen, but uh, probably will at some point, because I like to make myself busy. So anyway, this is some music from an unreleased film. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.